I know every time I wear this coat that I'm going to get somebody look at me like Robert Washington looked at me this morning and they go, hmm, somebody's wearing a nice coat today. It's not that good a coat. I just don't wear good things. And when I wear something that's semi-good, y'all think I'm Mr. Clean. And it, wearing this coat always reminds me, though, of when we sing dressed in his righteousness alone because, you know, that, that's not, those aren't just, those aren't just fuzzy, warm words that we sing. What does that mean? We're dressed in his righteousness. What in the world? Well, what that means is Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. The only life that any human being ever lived worthy of God because he is God. And because he lived a perfect life, he did not deserve to die, but he died on our behalf, took our punishment, and therefore the good news, the whole reason we have church, the whole reason the church exists, the whole reason we gather together and sing these things is because we get to go to heaven not because of anything we've ever done, not because we deserve it, not because that we are somehow more holier inherently than anyone else. It's because we believe in the fact that Jesus Christ clothes us in his righteousness like I'm wearing this semi-nice coat right now. Amen, brother. That's it. And when I wear this, you know what I'm reminded of? The fact that I got it at a wedding. Not even mine. I mean, it's mine. But when we wear Christ's righteousness, we know who it is. It's not ours. It's his. It's, it's bought with a price. It's by his perfect life. It's by his righteousness. It's by his death, his blood. And he says, hey, you don't got anything to wear, do you? Here's mine. That's the gospel. Just in case you sang that and thought, that's a weird thing, dressed in righteousness, that's what it means. Have you ever met two people in a family that are exactly like one another? What usually happens? They don't get along. Why is that? You would think that two people in a family who have similar personality, similar tastes, similar DNA, you would think those two people having the most in common would get along the most, but it doesn't actually work like that. In fact, sometimes the people who technically have the most in common have the most to fight about. Here's a big idea this morning. Here's the big idea. God designed his image bearers to experience real, lasting unity, not with people made in their likeness, but between people made in Christ's likeness. What truly unites people is not what they have in common with themselves, but what they have in common outside themselves, namely a Savior and a King in Jesus Christ. See, the world tries to mimic that principle, but it's twisted and it's very incomplete. And Here's, here, here's an example. Have you ever seen two people who could not get along with one another, but suddenly they had a common enemy and they got along? <laughs> suddenly they had something outside themselves. Suddenly they looked outside themselves, found a common thing they did not like, and suddenly they were just peachy. A common political foe does not unite anyone. A common parent that you're both angry with doesn't unite anyone. A common sports team that you both don't like doesn't really unite you. Have you ever seen a, a Georgia fan and an Auburn fan bond over their hatred of Alabama? 
It happens. Doesn't last very long, though. People are never truly united when they simply unite against a common enemy. They're only brought together spiritually and eternally with a common Savior and a common King. Do you remember what happens between Herod and Pilate on the day that they crucified Jesus? Do you remember that? Hold on. Luke 23, 12. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Something tells me that buddy-buddy thing just didn't last. Two corrupt people who came together because they both hated God. In Romans 13, what is often called the unholy trinity, the Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet joined together at the end to attack who? Son of God. That doesn't last. People will unite for a number of fleshly reasons. Some people even unite because they all hate God. We see that very often. The bonds of Christ, though, are unbreakable, and he gives these bonds, the bond of love, the bond of Holy Spirit, to his church. Here's the gospel this morning. In Christ, God has not only redeemed his people, he has given them the mind of Christ, and he has given them the same mind. By faith, God's people are purchased by the blood of Jesus and made alive and joined together by his Spirit who points us to what we all share, which is Jesus. If you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. I repeat myself in sermons and I used to listen to old preachers and I was I was really annoyed when they would repeat themselves and I do the same thing uh, if you found it go ahead and stand <clears throat> and Paul writing to the Corinthian church says this I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, give us understanding greater understanding of the love that you have for your church and the love that exists in your church. Give us a greater appreciation of the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Father, help us open our eyes. Help us to strengthen those bonds even more, Father. Not because we are a tribe, but because we're called to show the world what true love really is. Father, thank you for your love that you've shown us in Jesus and give us the spirit now 
so that we can see exactly what the Spirit does. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. Well, I always give you a summary in case I lose you, and you kind of go, what in the world was he talking about? Well, here's what I was trying to say. Christ is not divided. His love for the Father can never be broken. Therefore, while every fleshly alliance on earth will ultimately fall apart, his love for his people and their love for one another in him will last forever because of the power of the cross. You can break this passage into three things. One, what is Paul's goal? Well, he says it in verse 10. Let there be no divisions among you. Have the same mind. Number two, what's the problem in Corinth? There's quarreling among you. How did he know that? Chloe's people told him. Who's Chloe's people? I don't know. After they're reading, they're like, ah, Chloe. Such a... What's the solution? Verse 17, let not the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We're going to spend time on that, whatever that means. In other words, renew your faith in the gospel that saved you, Corinth. Paul says, this is why I didn't come with you with eloquent words, because if I came to you with eloquent words of wisdom, you'd be trying to follow me instead of Jesus. In other words, I'm glad that I'm not a good preacher or you to make me your leader. That's why I don't preach good sermons around here. Y'all be following me. But seriously, cliques and groups and sects and parties, they pop up, don't they? We sure know how to make a clique in the church today. We got Calvinists versus Armenians. We've got Beth Moore people against John MacArthur people. We've got our contemporary music people and our traditional people. We got people who like to wear jeans and we got people who like to wear suits. We sure know how to pick sides in a church, don't we? Let me just say this for a second before I, you know, I'm, I, I know I give it to y'all pretty hard here. I'm very proud of our church and the level of togetherness that we have that exists at this body. I know I'm not always supposed to, you know, give you a pat on the back, but I, I think I should because I would stack our church against any of the local churches here. We're not, we're not against anybody, but if we were... <laughs> I'm very proud of the unity that exists at this church. And I, and I think you all, I want to tell you that. But don't think for a second that Haynes Creek, just because we're small, just because we got a, you know, a, a very lovable gravel road, you come up the hill and everybody knows everybody, that we don't fight the same Apollo, Cephas, uh, Paul syndrome. A lot of us have gotten really comfortable with this church with our current friendships, and we don't welcome new folks. A lot of us feel more comfortable with people our own age, older folks, younger folks, so we don't chat with people who aren't in our demographic. Godly, Christ-honoring unity is not about coming to church. It's about coming to church and being the church. I'm going to give a, an example. Um, I have a grandfather who lives in my hometown of Owensboro, and is, I call him Pawpaw. Pawpaw is like the most stereotypical Baptist deacon you'll ever meet. I didn't really have much of a relationship with Pawpaw when I was growing up, even though he lived in my town, ironically. Um, I just, you know, when, when I'd basically see him on Thanksgiving or Christmas, or, we, you know, Mom would go make us go visit him. And typical teenage, young conversation. Hey, Papa, how you doing? Good. 
Well, what, how was how's school going? Well, it's going good. How what'd you do today? Well, good. You mowed your grass. All right. Um, but I remember when I when God saved my life, and I had an interest in the things of God. One thing I remembered Papa always loved to do was sing. He's still alive. He still sings. And he always used to annoy me because it was always really old hokey hymns and I didn't grow up with hymns. I, I sing more hymns today than I've ever sung. And I remember for the first time after God changed my life and saved me, I remember listening to his hymns that he would sing. And I, I remember one day he sang Before the Throne of God Above, which we're going to sing after this message. And... I remember talking to Papa about the verse, for God the just is satisfied. I remember us just talking about that. And for the very first time, suddenly, my granddad and I had something in common to talk about. And it was Jesus. Um, and I still remember that because when two people love Jesus and have the same mind, age, career, race, status, they have no power over the friendship and love that exists in the church. I want to commend our older folks. I, I see a lot of our older folks here. I think a lot of churches in America struggle. The, the, the older, I didn't say old, I said older. The older folks struggle to kind of talk to the young kids. I think our church, I think a lot of our older folks talk to our young couples. And I want to commend you for that. Not all of you do. Some of you do. Most of you do. We had a visitor in here. We actually get it sometimes, but we had a visitor in here not too long ago. This happens from time to time. I don't know if you hear it. But um, they said, oh, I don't want to sit. Is this somebody's seat? And I laughed. <laughs> I said, no, that's no, no, no one's seat. Uh, but if you go into a lot of churches today, you better watch out. That's somebody's seat. I don't think we struggle with that. I don't think anyone here, Mr. Bill has a seat. <laughs> and no one's sitting in it right now, even though Mr. Bill's not here. Other than Mr. Bill, no one has a seat. Um, but the point is this, unless we come back to the cross of Christ all the time with the amount of leaders we have in this room, you better, you better believe we have the potential at this church to make a Paul, to make an Apollos, to make a Cephas. We are no less prone in Haynes Creek to division than the church at Corinth. We are no less in need of God's grace in the cross just as much as anyone else. Verse 13 says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The church isn't just a nice place with good people. The church isn't just a place for people who want to come and do good things and serve our community. The church isn't just a place for decent, like-minded, hard-working folks. The church is a blood-bought people who bow before the same resurrected king, which is Jesus Christ. That is the reason we're here. We share Christ before we share anything else. We've been ransomed. We've been purchased. We've been redeemed. We have been bought with a price. Our friendships and our unity don't look like the world. In the church, we love one another. We disciple one another. We encourage one another. We discipline one another. We speak truth to one another. We sing with one another. We serve one another. Why are we doing all these things? It's not just because we did it last week. It's because we are running the race. We are seeking the same prize. Every small group that's in here, you are on mission to send your people forth and keep them running every week. It's not because you just met. 
It's not because you, well, I guess I'm kind of, is anybody else? Oh, we're all the same kind of friends. Let's meet and have, have coffee. No, you are on mission to run the race to continue seeking him because our souls depend on it. Our Sunday school, you don't just get in there. We, I mean, I looked, Ken Wynn walked out with half a stack of books. Probably more books than I use for this sermon. Why? Because he's preparing a message for our souls because every week we need the word of God to sustain us in our faith in the race that we are running. This is why we read our Bibles. How many of us read our Bibles every day? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise it. Some of y'all are like, oh, I want to raise my hand. Some of y'all are like, oh. I used to always feel guilty about not reading my Bible. And I think there's some, some godly guilt there. Um, but as long as we remember that we don't read our Bibles because God is keeping a tally. We read our Bibles because we are in love with the king who ransomed us. We're seeking him. And we also know that we're going to perish if we don't keep our eyes on our first love. We don't, share the last, we don't share the same last name in this church. We don't share the same personalities at this church. We don't share the same tastes at this church. Some of us like Bob Rutland's QT coffee. Other people like Herd coffee in here. Some people wear suits like Robert Washington. Other people wearing whatever they want. We are a very diverse bunch in this room, I'm proud to say. But we have one mind, don't we? We're called to have one mind. Which is what? We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to embody his humility in our lives. And we are all called to declare corporately to the world and to our community the gospel that saves. I never want Haynes Creek, listen to me. I never want Haynes Creek to turn into the young, trendy, coffee-sipping church. I can keep the coffee. I like the coffee, though. I never want Haynes Creek to turn into the older traditional church. I never want us to be more um, blue collar than white collar. I never want us to, to, to be more, uh, I don't want us to be a, a white or a black church. I want us to be exactly what Christ has called us to be, which is a diverse body singing praises to one king so that when the world looks at us, they see how diverse we are and think, what in the world could possibly bring all of those people together? And we reply, him. I don't want to empty the cross of its power by making people think that the church is just about social or racial or economic unity or political unity. I don't want to empty the cross of its power by making people think anything other than the fact that we are together by no less than the power of God. If someone comes to our church and they think, hey, Haynes Creek is about, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of the, they're about that political party. Oh, they're kind of that age group or they're, that, they're kind of the cultural trendy church over there. We've emptied the cross of its power. But what does that mean? Here's, here's what I think that means. To diminish the work of Christ in redeeming and resurrecting a self-centered fleshly people and uniting them as one people under one Lord and with one spirit. The diversity of the church, here's, here's another way I kind of put it. 
The diversity of the church testifies to the worth of Jesus in summoning all nations and peoples to follow him. And the unity of the church testifies to the power of Jesus to transcend all earthly interests. We put the power of Christ on full display when we're able to tell the world that Jesus is able to bring forth people of all kinds. But when we don't, when, we, when, the, when, the, when the church just becomes about looking like just another party or another clique, we look like just about everyone else in the world. Now, to the introverts in here. Well, Abby, I'm glad about the unity, but I don't like talking to people. Or, Abby, I'm, I'm all for, I'm for, I'm for the diversity in the church. I just, um, give me a job where I don't have to interact with people. Um, I can be introverted. There are days, I know y'all may not believe this, there are days I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to you. What about that? Is God called certain people to interact and be unified and others not? What about the people in the church who just aren't that social? Bobby, I don't get along with people. I love Jesus. I just don't love um, them. (laughs) How can we love the head and not love his body? And what we do is we make excuses not to unite with the whole church. I'm going to tell you, if you don't like the hands and the feet, you're making up another head. Here's something to think about. Opening up our lives, opening ourselves up to brothers and sisters in the Lord who are not like us, spending our lives with people that are different with us, opening up our homes to people that we're not always comfortable with. Those are some of the best ways to make sure that we are indeed surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sometimes being in community is spiritual warfare. Sometimes being in community is how we protect ourselves from fleshly interests. Sometimes being in community and surrounding ourselves with people who are different is how we make sure that we're not becoming a tribe. I think sometimes being around people that we don't have a lot in common with is a good thing. If y'all ever see a lot of people walking around who are fairly tall, bald, who use big theological words, who make inappropriate jokes and talk too much, just go, Abby. Stop molding the church in your image. (laughs) I'm reading this book right now called The Care of Souls, and he writes this. In our digital age, we're swimming in gigabytes of data, but thirsting for reality. We're drowning in information, but starved for genuine community. Technology links us instantaneously with people all around the globe, yet paradoxically, the more information we get and the more virtual connection we acquire, the more isolated and lonely we become. There are two different kinds of people in this world. There are the sinners who feel isolated and alone and the sinners who feel, who feel like they need to stay busy enough so they don't feel isolated and alone. But either way, every human being thirsts for the community and the friendship and the relationships and the unity that the church has. Well, Bobby, why don't everybody join the church? That's because in order to be a part of Christ's body, you have to repent of your sin and actually believe in the king. And that's hard to do when you love your sin. Today, 
I'm going to tell you, at Corinth, they found community. Everybody in, had, at Corinth had community. They just found it in the wrong places. Some people wanted it to be in Apollos' clique. Other people wanted it to be in Paul's corner. Peter had a little group. Today, people find community in all kinds of ways. I told you I went to Midtown in Atlanta. People pay money to go down to Piedmont Park and be a part of beer pong leagues. Like, like hundreds of dollars. And I just, I asked the guy, you know, I was walking with the guy, told me that. I was like, why? You just go to like a cheap bar and do that. And he was like, people just want to be a part of something. And, the, and the, the, the higher those buildings go, the less their lives touch everyone else's. And we do it the same way. I think I've told y'all before. Right here in Oxford, let's not point our, let's not thumb our noses at downtown Atlanta. We do the same thing, except instead of going up, we make sure our walls and our fences go this much away. Some people come into Oxford. You know why a lot of people, not all, a lot of people come to Oxford because they don't want people around. We found that to be true in our ministry at Haynes Creek. But it's the same sin condition. Let's not pick on anybody. The reason is, a lot of people, community's hard. We don't want people around. Why? Because then they'll see my sin. I don't want people around in my life because then they're going to tell me that I'm not living right. I'd much rather just concoct a God in my head and then live how I want and then tell everybody that they're wrong and that they need to leave me alone and that I'm serving the same God. That's what everybody does. But when we come to the church, they go... That says we need to deny ourselves and follow him. That says we need to be baptized. That says we need to be in discipleship. That says we need to live. It says we need to sing. It says we need to be a part. It says we need to be discipled. It says we need to be disciplined. This book tells us everything we need to do and everything we need to be in order to live godly lives and to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's not something that everyone is willing to do. But here in the church, we are more than just about being together. We are being together in the word. The world does this. You know, the world right now is big on community. The right now, even you can tell the way uh, when Kelly and I first moved here, we, we looked at churches, or sorry, we looked at uh, houses and floor plans. Floor plans have changed in houses now. Like in the 80s and 90s and 70s, it was like wall, 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 wall. Every like, everybody wanted, the dog needed a room. Now the floor plan's what? So, everybody, come on. That's because our, 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 this postmodern relativistic culture today, everybody just, come on, come on together. But there's a difference between the unity in the world and the unity in the church. The world says, hey, you're not okay, I'm not okay, we're okay. We don't have anything in common. Let's just not have anything in common to be together. And then the church says, no, we don't got anything in common at all except two things. How great is our sin and how great is our God. In the world, don't want anything to do with that. At this church, we don't have to look the same. We don't have to make the same. We don't have to be in years the same. But we have the same mind. And we have the same faith in the same God, in the same Savior, in the same king. And that's why we can call ourselves one people. 
So instead of emptying the cross of its power, the church is a self-emptying community. The world keeps emptying the cross of its power. I don't need that. I can do it on my own. My works are good enough. Jesus, I don't need your blood. I don't need your righteousness. I don't need your, your leadership. I can do it. The cross means nothing. Meanwhile, the church is saying, the, the cross is my power. That is my strength. I am weak. I will give myself away. I will follow after him. And that is why we all share the same thing, and that is Christ. This morning, if you think the church is a service organization, if you think the church is a spiritual self-help group, if you've come to church because you just want to have a tradition, then wipe away all of those things and come back to the reason the church exists, and that is we are a people who have come together because we have all been saved from hell by the same person, and his name is Jesus. And I invite you to believe in him today. Let's pray. Father, we are such a hodgepodge of people. We are a diverse church. We have so many things not in common. But those things are far outweighed by what we have together. And we have your son, Jesus. You have given him freely to us. And Father, by giving us a gospel, by giving us your spirit, by giving us Jesus, you have given us yourself. Therefore, in this room, in the church, we don't count our differences because we have so much in common, and that is the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that your spirit would be able to strengthen the bonds in this room. I pray that by the power of the, of the resurrection that we at Haynes Creek would be able to abound and increase and advance in love more and more as we see the day approaching. And Father, before Jesus arrives and judges the earth, I pray that we would be able to reach our community by showing the world what love and unity really is. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.